Welcome to Stop, Back, and Roll, a podcast about checking off boxes so we know we experience things. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. Today we're going to be talking about tools to make games and how to use emotions to drive your stories. So you sure did record an ASMR episode. I, I sure did record an ASMR episode. Oh boy. Uh, uh, right off the bat, I just want to say that was an April Fool's prank. We are not changing over our whole podcast to an ASMR character creation podcast. Um, I am sorry if that was a thing that you enjoyed a whole lot. Uh, dear listeners, um, I suspect in, that nobody enjoyed that a whole I lot. I suspect that nobody enjoyed it, possibly me the least. Um, but, you know, it was just a thing that I had said I was going to do, and it was time to follow through on that promise. Yeah, so. that's, that's the important promise to follow through on. <laughs> yeah, we are now in a post-ASMR episode world. Uh, we've all... Maybe not all of us have experienced it, but I've had to experience it, and at least I think a hundred of you have listened to it, so... Uh, those poor people, um, those poor people who just thought they were going to get one of these. Yeah, well, here we are. Yeah. This is a real episode. This is a real episode, and we have some very real news that is yeah. really, really exciting, and I'm, like, almost overwhelmed just talking about it, because it's yeah. uh, it's something that has been kind of, like, in the works in the background for a little while, and... Uh, we got busy and everything got busy and then we were finally able to now talk about it and it's really awesome. Yeah, so I just want to start off by saying, so when we launched the Protean City podcast, we sort of had started just begun to refer to these two podcasts that we do as the Stop, Back and Roll podcast network, mm-hmm. because again, there were two of them. But that kind of was just like... W- if, if someone had said, hey, what's the what's the Stop, Hack, and Roll podcast network? Uh, I would have said, well, it's the two podcasts that like Brandon and I produce and edit and, and record. <laughs> uh, that's the defining thing. Um, but no longer. No, no longer. longer is that true. Um, we are going to be joined by a third podcast. Uh, this is an amazing podcast. It's been around for quite a while, and it has just produced consistently incredible content. And that is not going to be changing that we aren't like taking over it or anything like that. We are joining in partnership with them and we're so excited to be joined by Taylor Labreche and game closet. Yep. Um, for uh, assume I'm I'm, going to just sort of casually assume that most of you know, Taylor, but in case there is uh, not a 100% overlap, um, Taylor is a wonderful game designer and friend and community member um, and podcaster. And Game Closet is a podcast where Taylor sits down to interview um, LGBT plus people in the tabletop gaming community, both creators, fans, pretty much anyone, uh, and dives into their personal stories, their experiences, uh, their their game creations, their their game running, anything that just like like sort of like living. In in that 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 story of of what it is like to be a person in this community and have those experiences. I legitimately love this podcast. Um, when Taylor came to us and started and asked uh, about the network, I was immediately just like thrilled because Game Closet is phenomenal and Taylor is a phenomenal friend, and I'm so honored to be able to consider him a friend and to be able to be like being able to partner on some content also in the near future, hopefully is Mm -hmm, just, mm -hmm. is just so exciting. So James, uh, why are you tearing up? You're not tearing (laughs) up. Stop tearing up, James. It's you that's tearing up. Not me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so go subscribe to game closet, um, uh, wherever podcasts are sold to you, uh, probably for free. Um, and follow Taylor on Twitter. Uh, he is at Leviathan files. Um, and look up his games at riverhousegames.com. Oh, so like he good. is a, a phenomenal, evocative game designer. Um, yeah. So, so well, I think we're we, like again because again when when we if you had asked me like oh, two weeks ago what being part of the Stop Back and Roll Network means, um, we would have floundered around a little bit, and and in fact we did when Taylor came to us and <laughs> said like hey can I like how, how would you feel about this? Um, and so we've had a couple meetings now talking about like what that exactly entails and so as we sort of like solidify that and roll out um 
what that exactly means. We'll we'll find new cool ways for you to engage with Game Closet as a stop, hack, and roll podcast. Uh, and um, but it, it was time to announce this that that we intend to to invite them and invite uh, Taylor and and guests onto our network and have them join our stop, hack, and rolling family. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that I am a hype monster. Like I am the worst about like keeping my mouth shut when I have a hype thing going on. <laughs> and I have spent the last week in absolute, like just literal pain. Anytime yeah. I go on Twitter or near anything, like I, I sit in front of a microphone and I want to just be like, stop back and roll is happy to welcome Taylor Labresh to the network. <laughs> Hell yeah. And yeah, I just, there, there was- I can't. There was one moment where Taylor tweeted something, and you and I both liked it within like seconds. Within seconds, and I was like, "Oh my god, is it too obvious?" No, no, no. no, no. no. We would have no, totally no. done this before. This is exactly this, why this is a perfect. This is fine. This is fine. <laughs> Taylor sends us a message like, "How did you guys like that so quickly?" And we're like, "Nothing. This is fine. This is fine. We didn't give it away. <laughs> Nothing's given away. We love you." So, so, uh, so yeah, I'm I think excited. I think we're gonna have to like I'm gonna have to like I think I want to build a real proper website for the Stop Back and Roll Network where we'll be able to like you'll be able to get links to that podcast and the rest of our podcasts and and it'll just be it'll be cool. We're moving another step forward. And did we mention RiverhouseGames.com? Because that has I did. Uh, I okay, that has Taylor's games. Taylor makes beautiful, wonderful games. Uh, yes, I own several of Taylor's games, and I yes. should own even more of Taylor's games. And so should everyone, you. Everyone should own more. Yeah, they're delightful. So more on that to come. Yeah. But big announcement aside. I'm especially obsessed right now with uh, These Weird Breads Are Sad. Oh, God. It's so (laughs) So good. good. It's so good. It's uh, it's like this, like, wonderful, sad, bittersweet, warm, beautiful baking game. Or, like, baking baking (laughs) circle game. It's so specific, and I love it. It's such an experience. Uh, It's an experience just to, like read and look at a couple of the cards and it's gorgeous mm-hmm. and i want to play it so badly i want to play it with some like scones <laughs> yeah so yeah uh <laughs> so um as a as a Jeez, final i legitimately piece of... do have tears in my eyes right now i'm emotional yeah. about working with taylor i'm it's very good ah, bring it together brendan um as a unrelatedly piece of news, I got to go to PAX East recently. Yeah. Um, which was a lot of fun. I was only there for really one less than one day. Okay. Um, I, it was just a whirlwind trip. I went up on Friday and came back on Saturday night. Um, I, and I didn't even go to the convention on Saturday. But PAX is an interesting convention. Um, I can definitely see now. Like, it is, it is a huge convention. Um, there were, I think, like... 80,000 people there. Like, it's huge. Um, and yeah, that's so far outside of my knowledge and experience for cons. And it's, it's a huge, like, um, game convention. Um, it's It focuses a lot on video games. Like, there were always these lines to, like, get into play VR games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I there's a, there is also, like there, like, there is a reason why PAX Unplugged exists now, because, like, even PAX East had a huge pen and paper gaming section. Right, yeah. Um, and there were some cool panels. I got to sit down on a panel uh, called Play in Your Lane, Respec- Respectfully RPing Outside of Your Identity. And it was with um, phenomenal panelists, Kika De La Rose, uh, Grant Ellis, uh, Hannah Rose, Chris Straub, uh, Margaret Henry, and Nika Harper. Um, and I'm, I've been a big fan of Nika Harper for a while. Um, so that was kind of just cool to get to see her on a panel. Um, and one of the coolest parts was sitting in a crowd of a, like in this big convention hall and have, I believe it was Grant, uh, call out Pasión de las Pasiones as a game (laughs) that like encourages you to play outside of your identity. Um, and it was very cool just to like hear people, people talk about the, talk about it and, um talk about how like like what are the things that you should try to do to to be respectful if you are going to play someone who has an identity other than your own um and a lot of them a lot of the actual conversation focused around how a lot of games um force the like because it was the the panelists were not exclusively white men and so a lot of the conversation was actually about like how 
the the traditional gaming not tr- not like traditional like trad gaming but like like cl- traditionally the game games that have come out in this industry for like almost force you to play white men yeah um in in a in an uncomfortable way and how the, one of the nice things about modern like indie gaming is that it like passion that it is that it does encourage you to sort of explore outside of your identity and then how to do that respectfully and like what things to not mm-hmm. do and never do. And like, and a lot of it was about just like, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to do things that are offensive, <laughs> but like that doesn't mean that it's necessarily not worth trying. And the yeah. biggest thing is to like do some research, talk to your to friends, talk to people of that identity. And then if they tell you, Hey, that thing you did was offensive. Don't be offended by that. Yeah. Like, and respect them and change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that really is what a lot of it comes down to is having like coming in with care and being open to help. Yeah, but it was it was a very cool panel. Um, and so I re- I recommend like that was cool. I wish I had gotten to sit down for more panels. Um, I really I you I love panels. Some, I love panels. I love hearing people smarter than me talk about stuff. Um, and so that was pretty cool. Um, I also got to meet, um, not meet. Uh, I got to hang out with Kevin Petker. Nice. Um, who lives somewhere in the Boston area um, and was doing the games on demand, which is a cool, like um, you go down and instead of like scheduling um, or like signing up, you kind of just get in a line mm-hmm. and then like person by person, they call you up and you choose which game from a list you want to be in. And they funnel you out to your different, the different DMS. And like Kevin was running both the ward and princess world. And whoever was the first one to choose one of those games chose which game he was going to run. And so I got to sit on another fun session of the ward and it was cool. What a weird way to set things up. It was up. a strange, like, once, yeah. Once the first person went up, did the, did other people then know what the game was? Yeah. So in most okay, cases, okay. so like, so like, there was like was, one person who I was envisioning who, like three people going who wanted to play the ward, two people going who wanted no. to play Prince's World, and like, well, you're out of luck. You said you wanted no, Kevin no. Petker. So they had like they had a table, <laughs> and they had like for Kevin, they had a sheet of paper that said Kevin Petker, mm-hmm. and they had his two games on it. And then once someone chose the ward, they covered over the section that said okay, Prince's World. And not everyone was doing that. That was the thing that Kevin was doing. Right. Um, I think there was someone else who was GMing either Blades in the Dark or um, Tales from the Loop. But then there was someone who was just GMing Dungeon World. Okay. Okay. So it all kind of so depended. It was kind of, it was up to the GMs as to what they wanted to run. Interesting. But it was cool. And then like they, it's, it's yeah, weird. Like that. Playing, that sounds cool. Playing at a huge con is like a very strange thing. Cause like at least uh, I've seen games where you play literally in tables in huge rooms and this, they like at least hung up. Um, it was like this, like uh, uh, they had like cloth dividers. Oh, so kind of like so weird, weird kind of tiny cubicles. It was very strange. So it, was, it was cool. It was nice. You had a little bit more privacy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, that's it's what you get when going to a con. It's like that's 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 uh, catering to eighty thousand people. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but it was fun. That's and cool. I would recommend, and I like it makes me more interested in like trying to explore something like PAX uh, Unplugged down in uh, Philadelphia next year. Yeah, go visit some of our Philly buddies. Yeah. We've got yeah, a couple yeah. of those. Yeah, but <laughs> okay, I'm not so... going to say where anyone lives because that's weird. Yeah, so. We are about 15 minutes into this episode. Oh my god. Okay, we should make some content. Let's hit some content. Let's Uh, hit content hard. Do you feel like you can hit content hard, or should I jump into my content? I can go content first. Sure, let's do it. Um, So I wanted to check in on uh, what I've been doing with the space between, because I think it's interesting. Before you do that, let's talk briefly about... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you, man. I was getting in my thing. So... uh... Let's just ignore Brandon. Um, when we checked in at our, during our last episode, I had said that one of the things that I wanted to do was sort of explore the emotions that my game was working on, because I think mm-hmm. that's an important part of the game, and that I had been sort of starting to use Notion as a way of um, working, designing my game, uh, and that my big goal was to get all of the cards, which were sort of just like scattered in Google Docs, uh, into this one unified system. Yeah. And and I have done that. Nice. Um, so Notion is cool. Notion is very interesting as a as a workspace. Okay. And so I think like what I want to talk about in this little chunk of the game of this of this podcast is both a little bit about Notion and how I've been using it. 
as well as um, what I've been specifically doing with it for my game design. Nice. That sounds great. Notion is a collaborative workspace, um, although I am not really using it collaboratively. Um, and it takes a bunch of different forms. It's kind of like this one of this new wave of tools uh, that I've been seeing a lot that sort of are trying to be something between Google Sheets and Google Docs and Trello or Asana and someone one of those like Kanban style project managers. And mm-hmm. so what you do is like primarily like the way you build like a, a workspace. So I have a, a, a space between workspace and I have a what is basically a spreadsheet of entries, but then I can choose how I see those entries based off of the different column types. So like for the, the workspace I use for the podcast network, I have a date column type. So I can choose to see it as a Kanban board of like which of the episodes that we have planned are edited versus which of the ones are, are just recorded. Right. And then I can also view it as a calendar and see like when those episodes are coming out. So what I've done for a space between is break it into two chunks of the lighthouse cards and then the hauler cards. Nice. And I have for each of them a column that defines the role and then a column that defines like the card number. Okay. Uh, and then the card text. This is and then really lo- slick. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. I'm wondering a little bit if I should play around with this a little bit in Rad Crawl. It might be helpful for, especially I think if you are doing a card-based game, yeah, where like most of the 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 aspects of the cards are going to be similar or are going to be hit across all of them, right? Um, and so I have like so there's like the, there's the things that are going to be on the card, like the card text, and mm-hmm. then for the lighthouse uh, cards, I have um, the alt text of like what is like if you pay the currency what is the diminished effect okay or the the med- or whatever um the lesser of the fe- effects and then eventually i will also have a currency column of like what is the cost there yeah associated with it and but really i've been focusing on the i've had i added a column for uh for both of the types of cards of what is the emotion that i'm trying to co- that this card is trying to cause in the ice hauler and what is the emotion that this is trying to cause in the lighthouse? Because I started with just one because I was thinking, oh, these cards are trying to create an emotion. Right. And like this card is supposed to make this person happy. But what I found was as I was going through to categorize them all was that like, okay, this card is supposed to be making the, the lighthouse happy, but it's yeah. supposed to be making the hauler sad or melancholy. Yeah. Um, and like, and that's intentional that there is a there's a disconnect there. And so I've been going through and labeling my cards and and just doing passes. Like it started as just like kind of a way to like organize them all. And and actually based on Taylor's suggestion to sort of make sure the game is balanced. And so I can kind of now have a visual and I can look at the all of the hauler cards and see like okay, well dramatically more of the cards that the hauler will get are there to make them feel some kind of hardship. Yeah. Um, and then the next the next highest thing is to make them feel guilty, like they lost mm-hmm. something or they injured someone. Um, and really, I had thought that more of the cards were there to make them feel uh, the wonder of space. And yeah. really, there's only there's like, like five of them. There's, yeah, there's that. five that are labeled with that. And so like just looking at all of this, I and, and also the other one was alien, making them feel different and okay. removed from the world. Yeah. And so I know now looking at this game that I need to shuffle these around and maybe get rid of some of the hardship cards and yeah. add some more al- cards that will make them feel alien or make them feel wondrous at the universe. Yeah, yeah. That totally makes sense. And then looking at the the lighthouse cards dramatically, the cards make them feel I would have guessed um melancholy would be on the primary emotion. Yeah. Loss is a really the bigger one, but melancholy, mm-hmm. loss and sadness are the are the the like the bigger ones. Um, I really want more fear cards, like them fearing for the safety of the ice hauler. Okay. Um, and and then and I do want more happy cards because I think that I think yeah, that there's a, not that many. There's, a, there's not many, and that's where like I need to actually go through these again and make sure I've got them keyed out. Yeah. Um, to because like a lot of the cards that should make the lighthouse happy should make the hauler feel sad, like because they missed something. Something that is like objectively good happens to the lighthouse yeah and the hauler wasn't there to experience it yeah kind of a thing that totally Um, makes sense 
And so being able to visualize this in a Kanban board was really interesting and helpful for that. Um, and and then I can literally drag them around to to change which emotion I think they're causing. Um, or I can sort them all by, like I can sort them, I have them sorted right now by which emotion they're causing in the lighthouse or the hauler. Um, so if like, I'm looking at the lighthouse cards, they're sorted by the emotion that the light that they cause in the lighthouse. Yeah. But I could also sort the lighthouse cards by the emotion they're going to cause in the hauler. Interesting. And look at them that way. And so you can kind of do this of like, of looking at them at things that way, or you could plug all of the rad crawl cards in yeah. and say like, here are like easy enemies, hard enemies, difficult enemies, or yeah. like, here are all my swords, here are all my all stabs, here are my weapons, here's my armor. By different like stats and things like that. That's really um, cool. It is very cool. And it's a pretty powerful uh, system for that. And there's a bunch of different kinds of things. And like you can um, connect different workspaces to each other. So like I have my personal to-do list. Okay. And one of my things might be edit a podcast. And then that right. will have a column that hooks it back into my podcast workspace. So I can see all the information about when that podcast is coming out. That's so really it's pretty, interesting. It's pretty interesting as a way of organizing this. And I think that you don't necessarily need to do this kind of advanced, if like, but like something like Trello, that kind of Kanban view, especially if you are, if you are designing a game like, like this or like rad crawl, where you're talking about cards, having yeah. physical like, or digital like rep card representations is very cool. Um, but even if you were talking about writing a PBTA game, you yeah. could, you could come up with, you could have a, a, like a, a chunk of this that is playbooks or you could have each of these cards be moves and have the cards be grouped into by which playbook they're in. And then you could, I think that this actual, this experiment of like thinking about each of my mechanics, which in this case are cards and saying, what is the emotion I'm trying to cause in the player or the other players would be very interesting to do for like any game really. And look, sit down with each of your, your, your moves and say, what is this move trying to do? Yeah. Is it trying to make the player feel powerful? Is it trying to make the power, is it trying to lure the player into doing something else? And like, and thinking about that in a very mechanical sense is I think a very interesting way of exposing the inner workings of a game. Yeah. Uh, it has been very enlightening to me personally. This is really interesting. I'm just like starting to like, like look at it. This yeah. might be a thing I want to try out. I might need yeah. your help on that. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing. is It is a collaborative thing. Yeah. So if you are working on a team, you can definitely share me on a workspace. And actually, the other thing you can do is, like, like the thing that you were looking at is yeah. a, 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 like a view-only link of the, the cards. I was going to say, it looks like I can't edit it. You can't edit it. I, I think that if you have an account, it's set up so that you can comment on the cards. Okay. But not edit them, and then I'm, I can accept those comments and change them. I made um, an a, I, I made an account like as I was on the <laughs> phone with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so this link to these oh, this, so part of this was also I wanted to get the cards out there so people could read them. Yeah. Because I realized that the number of people who have actually seen this game is like very small. Yeah. So that link that Brandon was looking at to these cards is gonna be in the show notes. So you can take a look at them all and and see what they what they do and and cool. then maybe make suggestions or I'll be tweaking with it, tweaking the game and stuff as I go along. Um, but it's a, it's an interesting thing. And I think that it's a, it's getting me to think and, and visualize the cards. Yeah. Um, which it's definitely not really laying helpful. out the cards. Um, it's not really the greatest text editor, but yeah. where, where I am just doing like short bits of text here, you can make views that are just straight up, um, lists or like just sections of text um and so that's that's for that um it is also like a you can you can do a pretty advanced to-do list management which is the other thing i do with it really <laughs> game design related um and and so you can then you can do things like um you can do the traditional to-do list task sorting where I could say like, here yeah. are like, if you had all the different, if you had this set up so that it was mapping, mapping out all the different chunks of your game, yeah, you could say like, here, are, like you could label them as like things that you feel confident about, things that you don't feel confident about, things you want to come back to, yeah. things that you think need lots of work, things that are ready to be scripted out or That's like written really out for the neat. book or laid out. And then you could yeah. go through and sort them and say, here, here's a view. Show me only the cards that need lots of work. 
Yeah, so I can do and a lot it, of work right now because I'm in that because I have that much energy right now. Yeah, versus okay, I don't feel like game mechanicing right now, but I feel like I've got a story inside of me I could write. Uh, yeah, they would show me the things that need written words for. That's really cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna goof around with this. This seems like it could be a potentially really nice, helpful thing. Yeah, I think yeah, tools a- tools to help game design. Mm-hmm are a really good thing and are in pretty short supply. Like the amount of people that I know just like do their work in like a text document Mm -hmm. and like do all of their work in a text document, like myself included, I have a Google drive folder that is just documents. Right. Yeah. And like, at least it's, at least it's not just like a TXT. So I've got like, Hey, different sizes and stuff, but (laughs) I'm a big fan of plain text. So like, I would never knock someone who wants to do their game design. This one of the reasons why I thought about this was, and, and this is going to be terrible because I can't remember the name of the, the service. But there is a pretty major writing tool yeah. that people use where it lets you um, break up your your writing for like if you're writing a novel into sections or chapters, and it lets you move those sections around. So if you want to play with where your story or how you're organizing your story, yeah, and I think I want to say it was PK who was doing this for something. Um, was writing his game in that so that he could like start thinking about the layout of the game book and where the rules yeah. came in relation to each other. Yeah. Um, and that kind of got me thinking about being able to move things around and organize cards and sort of visualize the game. Yeah. That's um, really cool. Yeah. So, and then obviously like if people want to talk to me about uh, using this program or a similar program, um, I'm always around and I love talking about uh, game design and the sort of like the tools that people use to do game design. So I'm sorry, I have a question. Just like looking at this, it seems like you have several different like like negative emotions, mm-hmm. um, like melancholy, loss, sadness, fear, uh, frustration, mm-hmm. potentially confusion, and then happy. Was that like an intentional thing that you want like that? It's basically like differentiation of of like more dystonic emotions and then like just like general upliftiness. Um, So maybe yes and no. Okay, is really the answer. Um, I when I ran through creating, so this is like the interesting of this. This is why like this has been so very eye opening to me. Yeah, and why I think this is a good story. So mm. when I wrote these cards originally, I was going for like if you had said James, what what kind of cards did you write? I yeah. would have said most of the cards for the lighthouse are are aimed to create happiness or melancholy. Okay. And so when I was writing them all, that was those were the emotions that I was thinking about. Mostly I was thinking about trying to make sure that every card had a little bit of happy and then a yeah. little and that happy would cause a little bit of sad to hit yeah. that kind of like melancholy space. And so what I did then was when I uploaded the cards and when I started creating them all in Notion, I created the emotions column. And I just took them card by card and I said I read the card like um you enter a, str- a physical strength or endurance competition. You train and perform very well. You win awards is one of the cards. Yeah. What is the emotion that causes? That's happiness. Like there's right. nothing bad about that. There's like, it's a, it's a physical endurance competition. Like you're not like, you're not feeling like, Oh my, my significant other wasn't there. Like there are other ones. Like you achieve a goal that you, the two of you have always dreamed of achieving together, but you yeah. do it by yourself. Like that is a, like, kind of undercut by some sadness. Like this one is, yeah. there's nothing but happiness there versus something like you have to go to a high school reunion without your significant other. Like yeah. That is a card that causes melancholy. Yes. It causes sadness. And so I just kind of went through card by card and, and I didn't have a, pr- so like the way that it works is one of the types of columns that you can add is a single select from a list. Um, and so you build out a list and then every time you click on the next uh, row, it gives mm-hmm. you a drop down menu of the items you have chosen previously. Okay, and, cool. And so I didn't, I kind of like threw happiness and melancholy and sadness and stuff in there. Yeah. Like, uh, as some of the things that I knew obviously were there. But then as I went through them, I said, is this causing one of the emotions I already have on this list or is it causing a different emotion? Yeah. And and I kind of just took them card by card and worked through 
and added new emotions where I was like, this is okay. Like, like I think the other one was, um, uh, one of the cards is one night while the hauler was away, some criminals broke into your home. They threatened your life and took everything. Yeah. Well, that's not really there to make you feel sad. Like yeah. it is like you've lost some stuff and it's definitely it's not happy. It's, it's definitely different. not melancholy. That's a fear card. Like that is supposed to make you feel f- afraid because you are alone because your significant, your significant other is gone. Yeah. And that was an emotion that I didn't have any other. And that, that was, a, that was an emotion. Uh, sorry. That was a card that I didn't have any other, that didn't have any other clear emotion. Like it was clearly fear. Yeah. And it was, and it was an emotion that I had not used in any other card at the time. So I created it as an emotion and it sits alone looking at this list because literally it is still the only card that uses that, that emotion. That. Yeah. It's there. And and I like I like the card, but it does make me wonder like why does, is it the only one? Yeah, is it is it that is it that it doesn't fit or is it that do I need more? Did you need more of it? I could really see that going either way. Um and so that's a choice I'll have to make. And then, and so I went through and I did the same thing. And then the interesting thing was, I also would have guessed that the cards between the lighthouse and the hauler were pretty similar in terms of the emotions they, yeah. they had. The the ice hauler probably again, like when I was writing them, I was thinking more like, um, more about uh, guilt of like experiencing cool things without their significant other and feeling that like longing or regret. But I yeah. would have really like sort of categorized those into like the the melancholy of being away and that and some happiness or sadness. And really like I ended up having a bunch of them be categorized as hardship. Yeah. Is the emotion that I was feeling. Like they were there to like not necessarily like things like there was an accident and all of the ice was lost. Yeah. Or it was almost lost. How was it saved? Like yeah. you didn't lose the ice. So it's not this big, like terrible moment. It isn't yeah. no one was hurt. So, or no one was explicitly hurt by the words of the words of the card. And so it's right. not like you don't feel sad or upset. It's just like, it's there to show you how difficult space is. And so that was came out of that. And then I, I ended up with guilt and mortality and adventure and wonder and longing and yeah. alien alien was like, the, I knew that there were, I wanted cards that made you feel different. Yeah. But phrasing it as alien, making you feel alien yeah. Was something that didn't really uh, cross my mind until I started doing this experiment. Yeah, this um, is really interesting to see. I, I, I hope that people take a look at this at this list because yeah. first off, because then they can pirate your game. Yes, um. <laughs> which is fine. It's yeah, change. There's no rules here. So. Uh, every Good time luck. I've shown it to someone, I've had to sort of sit down and be like, "Okay, here's like the rough, of yeah. what, like how the game actually runs." Like, <laughs> at some point, I will have rules here in this in this document, probably. Yeah. Um, but for now, it's just this. Yeah. Uh, and so, hey, I've got so a new game jam. It's the yeah. the space between game jam. You take the cards <laughs> from a space between and you write a game using them. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, mine is. Mine is about collecting comic book issues. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> oh, that makes me feel sad. <laughs> uh, and confused. And, like, the other thing was, so, like, an interesting, ga- mm-hmm. like, a mechanical choice. So this is, like, where, like, I think that having a series of, to- like, I think that you are right. That there are not enough tools that help people design games. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was interesting that came out of this was... Um, when you are choosing like the different columns, um, I'm just going to grab one real quick to look at the types. Like there's dates and stuff. So there is a select and there is a multi-select. Um, yeah. and so select, like I said, is you get, a, you, you add a list and you're selecting one option. Yeah. Multi-select is like, there's, you're adding like tags okay. to the, to the thing. Oh, and so, so like I use the red crawl. <laughs> yeah. And so I use that in, in, um, the podcast network one where I keep track of for every episode, which players are in or which characters in are in each episode. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that I can see, cause I'll tag multiple, multiple characters. And so when I sat down to like go through these emotions, I said, do I want to give myself the option to select more than one emotion and say, this card is there to make you feel happy and, and sad and melancholy. Yeah. Or do and I want to choose no, one like- and focus on that? Yeah. And and it made me sort of like have to stop and like the mechanics of this tool made me stop and say, no, I think I want to choose one emotion. Yeah. And if that and if that card is there hitting kind of two emotions, well, then I should point Consider to it. one 
and really like zoom in on that. Yeah. And get yeah. rid of the parts of the card that hit the other emotion. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And so having a tool and like this was like having a variety like like I know that so I did a lot of the early game design in Google Sheets and Google Docs and that was there because it was just like a raw piece of paper for me to write in and get yeah. the text out. And this was a different kind of tool that made me see and think about the game in a different way. And and I, and it has become, I think, and is going to become con- or continue to become a better game because I have sort of taken it between these different forms to yeah. think about the game in a different way. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's very cool. I'm, I'm yeah. going to have to take a look at Notion and see what I can do with it. I feel like there's a possibility Rad Crawl would work nicely for it. It has a pretty nice, um, I've used some other apps like other uh, programs like this that were similar, but the thing I like about this is it also has a very nice um, phone app. And so what I was like, I able to do is actually like I oh, went nice. through and at my, at my, on my computer and I dumped the text of the file into, or the text of each of the cards into the, into rows. Yeah. And then I created the column for emotion. And then I was able to just go and sit on my phone and be like, here's the text of this card. He, and then just like tap and select, here's the emotion that I think it's creating. And just sort of do that so on good. the go as I, as I work. Um, yeah, or, if really I, good. or if I want to create a new card, I can, I could say, um, here's like, I can create a new line and then add some rough text to like rough out what I think the card should be. Yeah. And then I could say like, here's a view that shows me, all of the cards that have maybe text, but nothing else. So they haven't been yeah. categorized. And then those are the cards I know I need to work on. That's like where having this kind of like very um, dynamic view is an interesting way to like do game design. I think you've sold me on this idea. <laughs> I promise I'm not being paid, uh, nor do I work for Notion. I, I am actually downloading Notion right now. <laughs> and they do have, um, they, I mean, they do have paid versions, but the free version seems well, pretty robust. I'm sure not paying for it. No. Yeah, um, that's the, for sure. The free version is very robust for what you get. I think the, the, the paid versions are more like if you actually want to like run a small company out of it, like there's a user limit that I think gets lifted. Oh, so, uh, okay. Um, or a card limit, but the card limit is like thousands. Nice. So... Well, that's good. I only need 98 for a rad crawl. Yeah. Yeah. 98, the round number that makes most sense for a rad crawl. Yes. It's a joke Uh, for people that listened to my stream one time. (laughs) So. Cool. Yeah. So I think that's that's really all I have to say about that for now. Um, I want to try to keep checking in and sort of like hold myself to continue working on this game. Um, and hopefully like next time, like with a version that will go out, like that everyone can see live right now, doesn't have two emotions labeled. And so I will continue to do that so that hopefully next episode I'll have it more labeled out. And I I do need to do another pass of like cleaning up some of the text. Cool. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. And, uh, and yeah, so you were saying you had some stuff to talk about too. Yeah. Other game design you've been working on. I, I have, um, the depowered and the resurrected version two with some progress. Um, so first off, I've decided they're not playbooks. Yeah. Can we just back up and say what those are though? Those are, um, costume changes. Yeah. So if you have played, so these are for masks and new generation because that's all I play these days. (laughs) Um, and they are costume changes, which are kind of like compendium classes for dungeon world, which are kind of like prestige classes for D and D which is kind of like getting your HVAC repair certification in the real world. Yeah, um, I think that tracks. I think all of that tracks. Um, or start a new career. Uh, mm-hmm. In any case, uh, the, what the costume change does is it is a... It's kind of like a side playbook that mm-hmm. you take, and until you have gone through your costume change, you can't retire normally as a character. Yeah. Um, there might be an additional opportunity for retiring the character, but it'll, ch- it'll be different in some way. I'm still kind of working yeah. that out, but and like, so, so just from like a practical standpoint, so in yeah. case just sort of like give, give the practical example of the depowered. Yeah. Um, it's like, if you tell a story about a hero who has lost their powers, yeah. um, and it's not a dramatic enough change that you're saying this character is now the beacon where they mm-hmm. believe they're a hero, but they have no powers and they have some gadgets. Like that would be a playbook change, like the narrative yeah. driving. 
the thing. And, and, and I think that it's also so, that also that the beacon is a specific type of story. Yeah. If definitely. you were like like in Protean City, I think this is not super spoilery, our Nova at one point takes the the depowered playbook. And yeah. it's interesting because I think that the way that it layers on top of it is like you are still fundamentally telling the Nova story. Yeah. About what they are and what they're interested in and their fears and and stuff. But there you're getting this other layer of of story on top of it that doesn't change the core the way that changing playbooks would. Right. Like if you think of like uh like the X-Men, Storm did not become the beacon when she lost her powers. She was every bit as important and every bit the leader. And like, there were some few people telling her that she had to step back, but like no one could continue that narrative. That wasn't an important narrative, right? Uh, her own interactions with herself were what was the important narrative. Yeah. Um, and so I've got kind of, I've got kind of a new way of doing it. Cause it used to be that it was really just a playbook. Um, it had yeah. advances that happened the exact same way. It had, uh, a setup that was exactly the same, except it made it so that you couldn't retire yet. And like you got like an additional moment of truth, basically. Um, and a couple of other little potential gimmies. Yeah. But the thing that I realize that's most important about these playbooks is that it is a stepping stone on your way to adulthood. Mm-hmm. So like, like let's take Spider-Man in the symbiote suit, right? Spider-Man in the symbiote suit can't be the fully grown up, fully prepared Peter Parker. Yeah. Right. Like, because the symbiote is having too much of an effect on him. And so he isn't going to go from Janice to, to like the Spider-Man, no issues without, while still wearing that suit. Yeah. And Storm isn't going to go from like, you know, young twenties trying to figure out how she exists as a person at all to like the incredible leader of the X-Men while she is entirely depowered. Yeah. She becomes the leader of the X-Men during that time, but like she doesn't come into storm the force of nature. Right. Yeah. Until after that. So this is meant to do the same thing. And what I've done is I've made it so that instead of going through it, regular advancement, I've taken the ideas of the innocent and the beacon and basically had it so that each of the costume changes is going to have a set of experiences. Okay. Which are the experiences that tie in with that costume change. And when you get one of those experiences, you get a move from the costume change. Or you get an advance uh, from the costume change. Okay. So let's go through an example. Do you want to talk about yeah. the depowered or the resurrected? Let's talk about the resurrected. because that's Sure, the we talked about, about that less. Yeah. Um, so first off, it comes immediately with a feature. Um, it now is going to have, probably, have a conspiracy, which is the conspiracy that says that you're still alive. Uh, and, like, that's going to be a little bit like the audience from the star, um, but, like, mechanically a little bit differently, because it's going to be, it's going to come with a darker side to it, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, basically, you gain a move when you hit one of these four things. Uh, you confront someone from your past who thought you were dead. Uh, you are once more brought to the edge of your or someone else's death. You have... Oh, you reveal a weakness at your grave or memorial. Mm. And you publicly show your face to the world. Oh, that's so good. I love the grave one. I love the grave one, too. That's like just like the perfect... That's that's Spidey after he dies. Every single time that Spidey dies. Um, I read a lot of comics where Spider-Man dies. Uh, <laughs> there's so many of them. I don't. I should read oh, more There's Spider-Man so many comics. and they're so good. Um, but basically, like, you get playbook-style moves from those, and I've got some playbook moves already mm-hmm. in the first version, and all of those need to be sharpened up and made better, but they're functional, right? And so this basically makes it so that instead of tracking your advancement and caring about that, you're angling towards these experiences, mm-hmm. which like you could potentially hit almost all of these in a single session. If you were like, mm, this doesn't super interest me now that I'm in the middle of it, you could get on through it or you could yeah. like take your time with it and stuff like that. 
Well, yeah, and I think some of it also would be depending on, like, we, we especially with the way we tell our story on Protean City, but, like, um, yeah. if if you are, if, if everyone is, like, deeply involved in your story, and so, like, you, they are, like, you are, are taking a lot of the spotlight in that session, yeah. you could, like, the player, the other players could follow you around trying to discover who, how you died, and you definitely hit all of those things, but if you're, like, deep into another storyline, you you're may not, not going have to. the opportunity to steal spotlight to go to your grave until, like, yeah. maybe, like, the end of the episode. Absolutely. Um, and so like, I think having those kind of there are like, they're like little scintillating offers of plot lines to do. Mm-hmm. And there are plot lines that it makes sense that you're coming more to grips with your identity as someone who's back from the dead. Um, um, now when you say that it gives you moves. Yeah. Do you, do you mean that it, uh, so uh, I guess a couple questions. Yeah. Are they moves that stick around after you lose the 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 the, the, uh, the costume change? I don't know. <laughs> are they? And then, and I guess my second question would be: Are they moves that replace? Like, are, are they moves that replace basic mm. moves? Is the other thing I'm interested in. Interesting. I hadn't viewed them as replacement moves, but I think that some of them potentially could be. There, I think there's something to be said for them being like supplementary style, like moves that supplement your basic moves because they change mm. fundamentally how you react as a hero. Kind of the way the, the innocent, like when the innocent hits a couple yeah. of things, it gets those replacement basic moves. But only yeah. then they would stick around only until you became like a normal kid again. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really sure. I mean, like part of that has to do with the whole when you change playbooks. Because yeah. I think that this is ultimately, it is a playbook change. Yeah. You know, like it isn't the full playbook change and there's a lot of addition. There's some stuff that's additional and weird, but the things that stick around and are important to you as a character can and should stick around, right? Yeah. I mean, that's um, kind of what the, the, the core rules say in Masks. Yeah. That when you change playbooks, you keep the moves that make sense. And I think some of the moves will actually, like, kind of dictate for you. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think one of the moves in it is going to be, like, about talking to people about your death. Yeah. And like one of the moves is going to be talking with someone who, be- like, interacting with someone who believes that you are still dead. Yeah. And so, like, once you're not the resurrected, you're probably doing that a little bit less because if nothing else, you've shown your face to the world. Yeah. But the flip side of that is like, there were a bunch of moves in the depowered playbook that were mm-hmm. all about like showing that you could still be a leader of the team even yeah. without. Uh, without your powers. And it would make mm-hmm. sense for those to be lessons that you learn and take away from you from that Absolutely. experience. Yeah. And like the goal for them would not be like when you can't use your powers and X, Y, Z, but more yeah. like when people are, when people are doubting you, when yeah. it looks like you're not good enough. Yeah. And so like really giving the tools for, for that, like, because the depowered ultimately is about, people thinking that you're not good enough to do what you're doing yeah and the resurrected is ultimately about like being changed and people looking at you and going like hey i used to know you and now i don't know you and like that is a fundamental like that's a fundamental teenage experience right yeah that like that you start figuring yourself out or something happens to you or you have an experience that that isn't like something bad necessarily even but that that fundamentally starts to change you and starts to shape who you are yeah and then your friends go like oh wait we are we still friends because you're a fundamentally different person now yeah 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 yeah. that's that's interesting i like that a lot and i think that this is like i think that is a thing that will definitely enhance the play experience of masks and I, think I hope that so. I would like to see more of that in in that game and in other games. Yeah, I think that that like one of the really cool things in like when I was playing a bunch of D and D three point five, I loved like looking at prestige classes mm-hmm. and going like, "Ooh, how do I build my character to get to this prestige class?" And I think it would be phenomenal to be able to have like, here are some experiences that are fundamental changing points for characters. Like, and like, 
it's comic books. So like some of them should probably be more, more weird than others. Mm -hmm. But like, I think there's multiple X-Men affiliated characters that have become Valkyries. Um, Mm. so like, it's interesting, bit weird, but in the X-Men, in the X-Men universe, they clearly have a costume change for the Valkyrie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's probably a costume change. Not a, not a playbook. But oh, I want to I want to play the next one. I don't know what it would be called, but I want to play a playbook where you like you be you physically like the the Spider Man becomes the Man Spider thing or whatever, mm. where he like becomes a spidered man. <laughs> if that makes any sense, um, I've considered like a semi transformed kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, w- the one thing that I really definitely want to write is the Hunted. Which is like when you become, when you do something that is bad enough that it's like, nope, you definitively are the anti-hero. You have just become Weapon X. And it's like, uh, like it's no longer, it's no longer just like, you know, oh, people are sometimes a little uncomfortable around superheroes. It's like, no, they're, you are specifically being hunted. Yeah. I was thinking a little bit more like, like you've done something big enough that like Craven the Hunter has identified that you are a worthy uh, prey mm. and starts hunting you. I can absolutely see something with that as well. Um, I don't know whether the two come together, like how yeah. the two come together. It might even be that being hunted by a dread organization and being like publicly viewed as a villain would both be costume changes. Yeah. And both be things to consider and look at. That's interesting. I like the I like that uh, that story beats driven thing. Um, I feel like I feel like that because what happened in our game is uh, Elspeth just continued to be a badass. Yeah. Oh, I can't say badass on this. Uh, Elspeth just continued being an awesome superhero, and so like it was just using a different suite of powers, mm-hmm. but I think didn't quite. I think the, the the playbook didn't quite force the experience of like really not being strong enough and being a failure and things like that. Yeah, and it also leaves you like largely at the whim of the dice still. Yeah. Because like she progressed through that plot that or through that that the the costume change. Yeah. Pretty slowly because she was rolling pretty well. And so she wasn't really gaining experience. And so when like failure is the the driving factor, not experiences, well then yeah. it's gonna like maybe you'll blow through it quickly, but maybe you just live like I think in our podcast, she has spent more Sage has spent more time as the depowered than as the Nova. Because she changed. I don't think that's it. true in terms of number of episodes. I think it's tr- true in terms of like, uh, what's it called? Contiguous time. <laughs> but I could um, be wrong about that. Also, I um, thought I knew at least at one point she had advanced as the depowered more than she had ever advanced as the no. Oh yeah, that could yeah. be because she only I mean, got like, like one or two, but then you had to advance like three times to get out of the yeah. the, the, the depowered. That could that could, it could even be that it that it is number of sessions also. But either way, like it's kind of doomed to not work because if you like the depowered is about not being good enough. And so if you do really well, you stick around as the depowered for a really long time. And that's <laughs> not just, very fun because yeah. you don't actually, you're never actually the depowered. Yeah. And if you do really, really poorly uh, and things go really badly for you, you roll poorly all the time and you're done with the depowered almost immediately. That's so, that's so backwards. <laughs> it's so backwards. It's awful. Uh, uh, I hate that you could be too good at being, like you yeah. be too good to prove that you're not good enough. That's and or, I think that's exactly what happened. Is yeah. like that that Elspeth was making roles at the things that she was good at because the playbook was designed to help you make roles using the things you're good at. Yeah, and like and like that's technically what all the playbooks kind of do, but it doesn't work in the same way for this, and it can't work the same way because of this. And like I think she did a phenomenal job, and I think we told a really good story with it. Yeah, but like. There's some things like, uh, do you want to hear the, do you want to hear the requirements for, for the powers? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you defeat someone much more powerful than you. You accept a bargain to gain power. You use diplomacy to prevent a situation from coming to blows. And you gain influence over an adult you admire. Yeah, those are all things that happened in that story. 
or nearly happened in Sage's story, and mm-hmm. she would have blown through that playbook at least a session more, like, quicker. Possibly. And, like, there's definitely, like, there's things in that it's, you accept a bargain to gain power. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been a cool story beat. And, like, she did eventually, uh, she did eventually do something that I think would have qualified that. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about direct plot points. Um, but, like, like, having those on the sheet lets you know, oh, I should be looking out for this. And, and it's it also, also lets the GM know. It's some good goal yeah, posting. That's what I was going to say, is I think that, I think with all of the playbooks and playbook moves, it's always yeah. important to be thinking that this is a signal for the player, but also a signal for the GM. That Absolutely. If, if they are going to, like, if they have chosen this plot line, like, if they have chosen, a, like, in, like in, uh, at least in our story, it was a very definitive choice on our player's part to choose to lose her powers. And yeah, so that absolutely. signaled to you as the GM that she was interested in this storyline. Yeah. And, and so then this, then you choose the play, this, this, this costume change. And then the mm-hmm. costume change says, here are the things that you, the GM should be doing to make sure you're hitting this story in like absolutely. a powerful way. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is like a, this is a, I think a better way to do it. Yeah. Um, and just like aiming the, aiming the moves of the depowered, to give nice opportunities for failure. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, cha- I changed uh, Take a Powerful Blow for the Depowered. Um, on a 10+, plus, remove yourself from the situation, choose two options from 7 to 9, or watch as your weakness causes disastrous results. Because mm, I think that so works good. better than lose control of yourself or your powers. Yeah. For the Depowered specifically. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh my god, I wish we'd had that in place even. Like... It, the problem is that I'm getting better at masks and the way that I'm getting better at masks <laughs> is seeing where I want a new thing involved yeah. and then it's too late because I needed the thing to be involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, what did I do? I realized in the middle of the session I was running yesterday that I really wished I'd had ritual magic as a like a custom move mm, uh, yeah. because I had, and it's like one of those things that's like, oh God, like three, two of my my five characters are wizards yeah and and one and at least one of the major two and then two more of the major npcs are massive magic users and i knew that a lot of my plot was going to be magic involved i should oh. have written a ritual magic ma- move like, it was so <laughs> obvious and we just got there and i was like oh i guess i don't have this now <laughs> I just i don't uh and like if because, i wanted to be good and crunchy it can't be a thing i just come up with off the top of my head and like there's ways you can steal stuff to like make it work but like in the moment in the moment you don't have time to go like no. here we're just going to pull up monster of the week cuz monster of the week has use big magic yeah which is yeah. perfect for ritual magic i definitely panicked and i was like is there is there a move for ritual magic in urban shadows like mm. where where can i go go cr- like where can i go grab a, a move real quick yeah <laughs> and i just there, didn't come up with anything there is in Urban Shadows the Wizard Sanctuary, mm, I didn't um, which get is there. how they do their wizard. They do their big magic. Um, the use big monster magic of the week for Monster Week would have been would have been perfect, though. It's so. it's it's honestly exactly the same as the Sanctuary. It's no. use this when you want uh, more than the use magic effects. Tell the keeper what you want to do. Keeper may require you to spend some time. You need to experiment. There's a lot of failures. You need some rare and weird ingredients. It'll take a long time. You need a lot of people. The spell needs to be cast at a particular time and place. You need to use magic as part of the ritual. Yeah. And it will have a specific side effect or danger. It's it's a sanctuary, Ugh, which makes been... sense because both of those were probably based off of the workshop from uh, Apocalypse World. Yeah. So Sometimes this is a history podcast. <laughs> <laughs> weird. So, so a little bit it sounds uh, like what you're saying is that like the way to get better is to just play more. <laughs> Oh my God. Am I Weird. saying that? I think I'm saying that, yeah. which is funny. Cause that, that has not honestly been my experience and thought previously. I've always kind of been in the camp that to get better as a designer, you approach design with theory, but you're right. You're right. Right there. That is, that is <laughs> both of those is having an, Oh man, this, we had a secret. We hit a yeah. secret uh, message in this episode. Yep, and I think that, but I think that the the, the addendum <laughs> to that, like the the I, the thing that I will say to that is, is that it's not that it's not that you can learn to be a better designer by playing. It's that like mm-hmm. specifically with the case of the 
with the depowered in Protean City was like you identified the need for a thing. So you yeah. th- and it was a thing that you knew you wanted to kind of game design. And so you threw it together and it was maybe not done, but you took the risk and it failed. And from that failure you and it didn't fail, like, but like it just like from the playing it and finding and seeing where it it didn't hit all the the points you wanted, you learned how to make it better. And like I think that that I think that that gets back to the minimum viable product thing of like it's always like you will learn through play and the game will teach you how to design it. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I guess that is maybe playtesting also. Yeah. So yeah. all we've done is invented playtesting. Yes, so, we've invented playtesting. Okay. Thank God. I thought that we'd uh, like <laughs> accidentally stumbled upon like a need for us to playtest our games more. No, just uh, but no, it's just we invented playtesting yes, at all play-testing. as a concept. So great. When you were talking in the future about playtesting, please <laughs> remind everyone that it was invented first by James and Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there is actually one little thing in the hobby that I do think that I may have coined that there's a possibility I coined the phrase for. Yeah. And I haven't been able to figure it out. I, I should Google it sometime. Genre bacon. No, I'm um, GMful. Oh yeah, that's possible. I know that was right? the thing you said. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Here, wait. Two thousand nine. Mm, that's pushing it. Yeah, no, I did not invent the phrase "gemful." Well, I may have, I may have independently invented the phrase "gemful" because yeah. I'd never heard it before saying it. I don't think. Yeah. But clearly, other people did as well, and I'm not a super genius. Yeah. Well. But I did uh, invent playtesting. So. Yes, we did invent playtesting. <laughs> yeah. So we can rest weird that no on one had ever thought of it, knowing mm-hmm. that that is true. Yep, um, that's always a good thing. So I think, unfortunately, it's time to wrap up this episode. <laughs> I think maybe fortunately it's time for us to wrap up this yeah, episode. Maybe fortunately. Um, look, um, we, we did... I think I think that... So I'm going to come back around to, you know, the, the, the ASMR episode that I published yesterday. Don't think about that as a terrible April Fool's joke. Think about that as podcast playtesting. Yeah, now, yeah. We, now I, we now I know. Tested it. Now yeah. I know. There was no, we knew that we knew that stop back and roll needed something different. Yeah, and we but now we know maybe that it's not ASMR. ASMR. It's not ASMR. It turns out. Turns out. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, uh, well, if so you know, if you if you believe if you believe that we invented something uh, and would like to let us know that we did, you can find us and let us know on the website we invented, twitter.com Yep. At stop back and roll. Or individually at Dr. Captain Cobalt. Uh, and I'm at End the Meltdowns. You can find links to our episodes, some of the games we've created, and and hopefully eventually uh, links to Game Closet and, and maybe more podcasts that will join our network uh, at stopbackandroll.com. And you can email us at James or Brandon at stopbackandroll.com. Um, please come and rate and review our podcasts um, on iTunes, on Pocket Casts, on uh, Stitcher, I want to say. I think we're on Stitcher. Um, or on Spotify. Spotify. Pretty much any... Yeah, we're definitely on Spotify. Anywhere where you can find podcasts, uh, find stars. Even if there aren't stars, go out and buy some star stickers. Put them on yeah. your phone, just on your screen, right next to the name of our podcast while you're listening to it. It helps people find our podcast. It helps people learn that it's good um, because it's the truth that you knew inside you the whole time. Uh, and it's the only way that you can convey it in, is in the form of stars. Yeah, um, it's so do that. gotta be stars. Go to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, peel yep. up a star, put a star in for stop, back and roll. Yep. Uh, and then immediately turn yourself in so that we don't get in trouble. Yes. Um, another thing you can do that won't get you into trouble is checking out Game Closet. It's such a phenomenal show. It's really great. Um, we would not be partnering with Taylor if we did not truly believe in the show. It's phenomenal. Everyone who listens to the show would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. it there's just there's it's just it's stellar it's fantastic so find them rate and review them as well and uh and keep on being amazing yeah um you we make this podcast with the support of our patreon backers um but uh, we, we didn't get any new backers this month so we'll just thank a whole bunch of old favorites people like Yay. will uh randy lubin rich howard michael bowman who i met in person at pax east oh, which was super cool um david reynard um Accusome, Evan Nyquist, Peter von v- Peter von Batavia, Peter von Batavia, Greg Walters and ShuffleQuest. If you'd like to help support this show and future shows, check us out at patreon.com/stophackandroll. If you can't support us financially, consider supporting us by becoming a part of our community. We 
love and thrive from having involvement with our listeners and all of the wonderful things that you're all coming up with. So you can do that by joining our Discord at tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord or discord.stophackandroll.com. As you are walking on your house, categorizing everything you own as uh, to what type of emotion it sparks inside you, don't forget to stop, <laughs> hack, and roll. That was a callback <laughs> to the last episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was. It was. <laughs>